Welcome to the Pharma Sales and Tech Podcast. Join Artem, Stefan, Ruslan, and Chris as we explore the latest trends and developments in the pharmaceutical industry with a focus on sales and technology. From cutting-edge innovations to practical tips and strategies, our expert guests will provide valuable insights to help you stay ahead of the game. Tune in to stay informed, inspired, and connected with the world of pharma sales. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is me again, Stefan from Platforms, and we are, well, I'm presenting Adam here, and we are still at the podcast, Sales and Pharma Tech podcast. And I have Adam Rosenberg here, who is also in the same position as I am at Platforms. He's doing marketing at Eric's Pharma. I'll let Adam introduce himself, actually. Adam. Tell me yeah. how awesome you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Um, my current role is Senior Director of Marketing at RX Lightning. And um, we are a healthcare technology company that works with different pharmaceutical manufacturers to help streamline and digitize their enrollment processes. So instead of Instead of all the paperwork and faxing and calling everyone, we digitize the entire experience from the enrollment form all the way through to getting that prescription over to the pharmacy or to the um, the location that it needs to go. So um, really excited to be here to talk a little bit more about the industry and about marketing. Awesome. I'm really excited to have you as well. So my question would be like, can you talk a bit more about, like I was super excited to hear like your introduction. But I want you to give us more detail about like what what's a digital experience like. It sounds very interesting. Like, yeah. So there's been this huge issue in the medication in the specialty medication space in America, where um, I could be prescribed a medication, or or I could work with my doctor and be diagnosed for any number of things. And it could be for uh, for cancer care, or it could be for dermatology or rheumatology or any of anything that uh, a sort of specialty med is needed for. And what happens is all of the manufacturers for those drugs um, have a paper enrollment form that the doctor and the patient need to sign and need to confirm that they want to um, have this medication. If the patient needs financial assistance, there's a separate form for that and additional signatures are needed. So there's a lot of paperwork and not a lot of uh, 21st century stuff happening in the, the specialty enrollment space. So what we do is really not only digitize the enrollment form, but we connect to all these different partners in what we call the MedAccess ecosystem. So we're able to connect with the insurance company and see if that medication is covered under the patient's insurance. We connect with different pharmacies to see where that prescription can be sent to. Um, we connect with different foundations to see if there's a, an option that would help the patient pay for that medication. So mm -hmm. we've created this ecosystem to really digitize the entire process and make it so that patient can get enrolled on that drug faster and that really helps with speed to therapy and adherence in the long run mm -hmm. awesome 
And for, for all listeners, before, before we started the podcast, we're talking about Mark Cuban's, I know, startup or company that they're basically speeding the time they're, they're speed, they're helping with the speed time, speed time to therapy. And they give a lot of transparency, to the cost of drugs. And, and also Adam here has been working in their company before that's working on the transparency of, of pricing, which I think is super interesting because as Adam mentioned here, like you don't know how much your, your medicine will cost. Is it $5, five, 500 bucks? And that's a big difference for a lot of people. Yeah. What's your insight yeah. on this? Well, let's, let's discuss this. Yeah, no, I, I think again, it may be a problem that is central to the American healthcare system, but, um, there are, um, the good news is that over 90% of people of the country have health insurance, right? Everyone has some sort of insurance. Some is better than others, but it's very difficult to understand what a specific medication is going to cost you at any point in time, because there's deductibles, there's other financial reasons, there's family plans and individual plans. And you, you really have to do a ton of research to figure out exactly what something is going to cost you. So the last company I was at was working on price transparency, medication price transparency at the point of care. And the reason that's important is right when the doctor is prescribing a medication, they should be able to have that conversation with the patient and tell them this medication is going to cost you $23 at this pharmacy, or it's going to cost you $30 at this pharmacy. And they can have that dialogue around which is a better option. The $23 one may be 20 miles away and the patient may not have a car or transportation. So they might opt for the one that is a couple dollars more, but is much more convenient. So price transparency isn't just about what is the drug going to cost me, but it enables a conversation with patients about a lot of social um, impacts on, on how they can access those meds, whether it's affordable or not, and whether there are alternatives that might be better for that patient. So I think Mark Cuban and what he's doing with cost plus, plus drugs is really interesting. Um, they're, they're just manufacturing drugs and taking out a lot of the middlemen and that enables them to sell drugs directly to patients or, or pharmacies or certain plans at a much lower cost. Um, and they're very transparent about what those drugs will cost. They're pretty much the same cost for every patient. Um, and I think that's, that's really an interesting model. You don't necessarily have to go through your insurance um, to, to mm -hmm. find out the price of the med and, and deliver it. And it's similar to GoodRx. It doesn't go through your insurance, but at least you know the price of the drug. So I, I think this wave of transparency is really helping yeah, people understand the options important. that are out there. Of course, the like transparency and pricing, I think it's super important, specifically in the U.S. where all the medicine is paid. You have people on Obamacare and you have people who pay like, you know, tons of money for, you know, for their families to have them some kind of insurance. So. I think it's, it's a good, it's a good deal. Now let's get back to, to marketing. Actually, I was thinking about sincere marketing and Lambo as well. I was wondering, do you have any specific, like maybe examples of how your marketing, maybe sales strategy help you like get some good results in, 
you know, the work you've done for this company or previous company. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think there's tons of examples and over the past couple of years, things have really changed. Um, there are mass healthcare events. Um, there's pharma events. Those went away during COVID and now they're starting to come back bigger and, and better than ever. Um, so a lot of our successes have come from being present at those events, um, but doing a lot of homework ahead of time to make sure we know who our target contacts are, what our conversations are going to be about. I don't think, and I've been at the past couple of companies I've been at are fully small startups. And I don't think you need a massive budget um, or to spend a million dollars on an event to make it a successful event. Um, as long as you know who's going to be there, you know the story that you want to tell, and you have really um, specific goals uh, in terms of how many meetings you want to set up and, and the, the contacts you want to follow up with afterward, I think events can be a, still a really strong channel for marketers in this space. I think the other thing that has gone really well from a marketing perspective is telling stories um, of like-minded organizations. So building case studies of large health systems or large pharmaceutical manufacturers and then sharing those with other similar organizations. And I think that content creation, I, I still think content is king. Um, it's really important to be able to tell that story effectively and build that custom content for any pitch or for any sales conversation. So if you're talking with uh, a small pharmaceutical manufacturer, who are the manufacturers you've worked with? What are the results you've seen? How can that translate to this new prospect that you're talking to? So I think events is something that's been on my mind a lot recently, content creation, and then just in general, this idea of multi-channel, um, multi-channel account-based marketing is something that I really keep a close eye on because there are audiences who are at the events. There are audiences that might be on social media or might be on your website, but there's others who attend webinars or others who don't. You need yeah, to I really kind us. of it's search so that you can in, effectively- In pharma events, exhibition, conference, conferences are play actually a key role in engaging with people. Like it was, I was so surprised seeing that, um, they're not, they're not, farm is not that digital as I thought initially, you know, people are very, there's very much just like, touch, you know, human touch. People want to see people because I know people are like more conservative in pharma work because there is, there is a risk of spilling out information. Right? I, I don't know. It's just like. So we, for example, Black Forest, whenever we go on tour, like right now we're in a tour in Latam, we, when we go to a conference, we sort of like try to target the influencers there at the conference, sort of like, even if they're not our ICP, we don't try to sell them, but we try to at least engage them and invite them for, for a podcast, you know, like, because that's influence that you can, that you can show to other people, you know, and that's, that's my go-to tool. I cannot, I don't sell per se because of my marketing, but where I can sell, I can, can influence people. That's what we do. And we always yeah. try to align meetings a lot of, like we try to, in the city we go to, we try to find several companies that we could yeah. potentially partner or sell to. And then we sort of like combine 
pleasure going to a conference with business meetings in the city. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's less Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think just to add on to that, I think to add on to the conferences, two things that you made me think of. One is it's not just an opportunity to talk with as many people as possible, but there is always an opportunity to get on stage. Now, a lot of conferences, they don't want vendors talking on stage. But if you work with your clients yeah. or partners and help them get on stage, they can tell your story. Um, so I think getting on stage and being a thought leader is is a possibility and can really um, create some buzz around your organization. The other, like you said, setting up podcasts, setting up interviews. I've I've read case studies about organizations who will go to a conference, they'll split their booth in half. One will one half will be just a regular booth, and the other half will be a little wow. recording studio, and they will record like fifty conversations. And they will have content for a year, just a year's worth of content that they can use. And, and that allows them to be a thought leader in the space. Um, they, can, they can create their own series about the specialty medication space or about digitizing specialty medication enrollment. Uh, they can talk to experts, some of which are their partners, but some of which probably aren't their partners. They just want to be a part of the, the, the series or this podcast. I, I so I think there's a lot of different ways, ways to engage people. There is a series about OxyContin called Painkiller. It's where it's about OxyContin and Purdue Pharma. Yeah. So, so how they, how they promote their doctors is like, they basically got their doctors that. to speak for, for Oxy, OxyContin, how great, yeah. how great there is. And, and there is, so I'm, I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of that in pharma as well. Like basically you elevate, cannot, you cannot endure, you cannot like give gifts and stuff like that, but you can endorse people and, you know, speak for, for the benefit that your product or service brought them. Right. Hopefully you're not selling OxyContin. Yet. <laughs> like yeah. you said, we can't build any preference for any medication into our platform. We can't show ads in our platform for any specific drug. Um, that that wouldn't be legal. So what we're doing is is creating the best experience possible, so that the providers they're still in charge of the decision that they make. They're still in charge of the drugs that they're prescribing. But if they have a great experience ordering drug X because it's digital, it's a digital form. They know exactly the process. They remember that, and and they can tell their friends about that. Um, so it's not that we're promoting any drug Definitely. over another, Definitely. um, but there is. So we, here with, with Adam, we're discussing the dimension tools that they can use. You can connect the world easier. of dimension generation with like omnichannel and multi-channel. So what's your input on that actually, Adam? Yeah, I think demand generation is, it's not a new term, but I think it's taking on a new meeting recently. Um, so I've, I've been reading a lot about demand generation and I think over the past 10 years, things have really shifted. So being a marketer, my uh, 10 years ago, it was how many leads can we create? 
how many leads can I pass from events, from webinars, from white paper downloads, from our website over, if I can pass a hundred leads in a month or a hundred leads a year, whatever the quantity is, it's a huge success. And I think that idea is shifting and has been shifting over the past mm -hmm. couple of years. So you're not just passing leads because leads don't indicate interest in a lot of instances. If someone joined a webinar or someone stopped by your booth or someone downloaded a white paper, you could get a, a hundred of those, but only a couple are actually interested in what you're doing. So I think demand generation really shifts marketing's focus to creating demand. So what is the value of your solution? And what does that, uh, how can that improve the buyer's life in some way? So once you create that demand, you might not pass as many leads. You might, you might have, or you might not pass any leads at all for that matter, in terms mm -hmm. of white paper downloads, you might just publish your white papers on, on online mm -hmm. because that will bring more people to your site and will bring more people to the understanding of what you do. But at the end of the day, the people who then fill out the form to want to learn more are actually interested in what you are selling. So you've, you've created the demand just by organically being there and, and um, distributing content. So it's, it's this big oh, shift from lead amazing. generation to demand generation. And from what I've seen, there's a lot of case studies out there. The shift to demand generation, while it might you might need to shift your team structure. There's a lot more content creation that's needed. At the end of the day, when you start to measure what matters, in most cases, revenue at the end of the day, um, in most cases, opportunities created and the revenue mm -hmm. goes up when you think yeah, about- Yeah, I, I agree. I think the main generation is why. So basically with the main generation, marketing is focusing not on brand or just like awareness or some like buzzy, buzzy, like some marketing buzzwords, which for most people to your, at least your uh, chief financial officer, they'll sound like BS. Oh, God damn it. Um, so Adam, well, I knowing that you have a lot of experience in marketing and sales, I would like to focus a little bit on the pharma specific here. And what would you say would be the main generation applied to pharma, the pharma market, which I would say it's quite conservative. What would be your approach? Maybe what would you, would do you see any specifics, you know, attached to it, anything like that? Yeah, well, I think there's been this really big shift, uh, in the marketing space from lead generation to demand generation. Um, and instead of generating as many leads as possible, um, which is what my job used to be. Um, I, I, I would go to conferences and generate leads and I would go send out white papers and generate leads and, and drive people to our website and generate leads. All of those leads are, are yes, they, they've been um, helpful, but I think the shift to demand gen really uh, emphasizes intent so instead of generating a hundred leads a month, I'd much rather create meaningful demand for the solution that, that we've built and come people 
have people come to our site that are ready to buy and and truly interested in what we're we're selling. So instead of um, going to conferences and having sales conversations or sending out white papers behind a form, we might just have brand awareness be a main driver of our engagement and white papers might be ungated. And we, we can continue to push out that content and really prove the value of what we're doing so that when people look at our website, read our content, engage with our brand, and then fill out a form, there's, there might be fewer of those form fills, but those leads are much higher quality. So I, I think the shift from quantity to quality is really important. I mean, there's a there's hundred different demand generation tactics. Um, I think a big one, a really big one in the pharma space is conferences. There's a couple conferences every single month. If you really wanted to go to a hundred conferences a year, you could. Uh, but you really need to think about which ones are going to be the most beneficial for you and your team, the specific uh, people who are at that conference, the products that they might be looking to buy. Um, and then I think for us, uh, beyond events, a second demand gen um, driver is just our website. Um, we're doing a lot with um, Google and SEO and making sure that we're coming up for search results but we're starting to build out a repository of content for different stakeholders, uh, different points in the buyer's journey. So everyone who comes to our site has something to look at. Now, our website's only two or three months old. We just relaunched it, mm -hmm. but we're, we're putting out new blogs every month. We're building behind the scenes a lot of other solution pages. So there's a lot to be done on a website to create demand in the market. Awesome, yeah. I, I was looking recently, I was looking at a guide about how to engage with conservative buyers and conservative markets. And number one would be, at least for me, that would be relationships. Of course, that's common for all B2B. Number two would be referrals. Basically, who would refer you to the company that you need to, to talk to, right? Like, that's pretty yeah. obvious. Another one, which is quite interesting, is create a content co-creation. I'm not seeing this, I'm not seeing a lot of this in, in pharma, but what I'm doing this with, with our podcast with, I'm planning to start the market research next year to basically gather knowledge about like the, what I actually follow people think about certain topics such as AI, for example, or innovation or multi-channel. And I want to co-create content with them by giving them basically a say in, in, in the article that's going to go out and like feature them, right? It's the same as you would do a podcast, but it's, it's more, I would say it's, I think it's more fit to the farm. So we're going to try this next year. Basically partnerships. Yeah, just to yeah. comment, comment on that, I think content uh, co-creation is really interesting. I mean, a lot of these publications or white papers, there, there's a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money that needs to go into it. A lot of times we could partner with another organization or partner with one of our clients to tell their story. So I think uh, content co-creation is really interesting. Um, to share the cost, share the awareness, and, and really drive home the message that you want. And then to the your earlier point, I think referrals um, is huge, especially for, um, for pharma and, and the end users of the tools. Um, we, we offer a technology platform uh, that doctors and care teams use, and that's a very small network. Um, so if we're at one, one cancer clinic, 
uh, they might be owned by a larger organization that can then pass on our information to other clinics. So it can really snowball pretty quickly and grow fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Just to finish my thought about other tactics that you could use is like partnerships and micro like partnerships and working with micro influencers, people who are like, I call them octopuses because they basically, they might have, they might not be the general manager or chairman of an organization in, in the pharma space, but they know everyone, you know, maybe they've started a pharma company, maybe they've, they worked as an organization, like the one we encountered in the Philippines. There was this gentleman, Jude, he basically knew everyone in pharma and he was like a simple salesman, but he was so strong and his networking skills were so strong that he, we, we, well, we used, we, we partnered with him on, and he, he gave us a lot of introductions into pharma companies. And what the last one would be, I would say industry associations and communities. This one, this one is a tricky one. I haven't seen very good or very strong associations and communities in the pharma space. Have you, Adam? Yeah, um, it's funny. I was actually looking at some uh, some events earlier today, earlier this week, and there's a lot of organizations who I think are trying to build communities um, within their events. Um, in the on the America side, there's Health and Vive, um, and those are kind of large shows. They're large. Um, kind of extravagant shows where technology companies and vendors get together and leaders in healthcare. Um, those aren't necessarily membership groups, but there are a ton of kind of smaller groups. So there's a lot of like oncology pharmacy groups or cancer research groups, um, neurology. Like the, I think the pharmacy space itself has a ton of various groups there's end users there's pharmacists there's health system pharmacists there's physicians there's regulatory groups so i think there's a ton but it's i actually i i feel like there's almost too many conferences like i said you need to be so specific about what you what you attend what groups you want to participate in and I don't think any organization has the ability to participate in all of them, but again, they're all so, so niche. Um, so, so I think there's a lot, you just got to do a lot of research to find all of them and decide which ones to participate in. Where are you going? Where are you going next year? Let's say, let's say that because I'm also doing my plan for next year, what conferences to go for. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, what, where are you going? Like, where's your company going next year? Yeah, there's so like I said, we have two um, two key constituents that we really want to uh, join our network. One is uh, the pharma manufacturers, um, and then the other is the users. So that's doctors, health systems, clinics, things like that. So on the on the provider side, there's a ton of events. There's dermatology events, oncology events. Uh, Becker's puts on some good health system events. Um, there's the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy, um, American Society of Health System Pharmacists, right? So there's, there's a lot of end user, um, conferences that we might get involved in on the pharma side. Um, I think there's fewer big events where everyone is all in one spot. So 
Um, I mentioned the National Association for Specialty Pharmacy um, is usually a pretty pretty good one. There's another one called um, AMCP, AMCP, so the Academy for Managed Care Pharmacy. Um, and then there's also Assembia, um, which is another specialty pharmacy summit. So there's a couple big events. Um, there's also a ton of technology conferences that we may or may not attend. Um, there's HIMSS and Health and um, what are some other ones? Just a lot of digital healthcare summits and groups and um, things like that. But for pharma specifically, there's there's a couple that that will be attending. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're we're basically for for platforms, we're seeing a lot of uh, good outcomes from I would say smaller smaller service community, smaller events. For example, Reuters does not really work for us because you have the, all the big dogs, all the big organizations there. But smaller events like in, in Latem or in um, uh, Asia work for us really well. Because you know, the, 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 the groups are more elaborate. You know, people that, that come, they're more like, it's more of our ICP target. And you know, for them, it's like novelty when you come and you ask them like, hey, do you want to do a podcast with us, you know? And they, are, they seem so excited, you know, and I, I get also excited with them. So I, I, I really love that. Again, with, with platforms, we try to be very efficient because we're like a small company. We can't go just, just, you know, fly from Europe all over the world just for one conference. So we usually try to do these small, I would call them panel events or like we just try to see potential clients and partners before the event. And then during the event, we sort of invite them to the booth. And I was thinking next year we would actually start like recording content right at the booth. It came from the first part of the interview you had, and you said that you, if you can split the booth into pieces, you can basically record a podcast. Thank you for the idea. That was amazing, actually. I was, I was planning to do that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of cool things. Like, I mean, I've been to conferences where there's thousands of booths or there's just, it's so big. Or I've been to conferences where there's 20 tables and it's smaller. And I think people need to start getting creative about their presence at conferences. Can you do something special to stand out? Is it a dinner? Is it a recording studio? Is it, um, I don't know, a magician? Like, I don't, just something creative so people remember who you are. Um, so I think a lot needs to be done there. Do you, do you plan to do anything creative next year with your conferences that you guys are going to attend? Um, we have a couple conferences that we've been to year over year. Um, and we will, we're, we kind of always have a booth or um, we have some sort of presence. We, we always try to get on stage. There's one or two events where we host, a, we try and host a happy hour. Um, so either the venue or we get a large hotel suite and you can have 30 or 40 people in there um, in this room in the hotel. So I think partnering up and um, hosting some sort of like happy hour, I think a while back we've done like throwing or like you do some yeah. sort of um event outside of the actual conference that is a good way to really get close uh i'm, I'm i live in colorado we've brought people to rockies games to the baseball stadium um nice. so we've we've done different sports events depending on where the event is oh, gotcha yeah i think i think something like happy hour is not really 
I have to as many pharma conferences as I've been to. I have not seen many happy hours, or like at least after after the party gatherings. I've seen that a lot in like in tech, and you know, like after the conference, you go to an, a venue and there is like stand-up comedy, there is like karaoke, there is all sorts of stuff. But you, I don't see that much in pharma. I think I'm thinking thinking about doing something like this next year. Like that would totally nail it, right? Yeah, try it out. If it, if it doesn't work, it's a good test, but it's it's an opportunity to engage some prospects and clients. The, the hardest part is getting people there. Um, so if you have a registration list for the conference or some other way to make sure you know who you're inviting, um, that's that's the, your best. Gotcha. Uh, at your organization, do, uh, okay, first of all, do you have any knowledge of uh, account-based marketing or key account sales or... Yeah. Yeah. So account-based marketing, especially in healthcare is okay. just hugely important. There's, there's so many, um, there's so many hospitals and health systems out there, but there's, there's only a handful of, um, pharmaceutical manufacturers that are big enough that we really want to partner with. So I think account-based marketing is really important and, um, you really need to think about what the experience is that you create for those accounts. So there might be, let's say there's a hundred pharmaceutical manufacturers that you want to target in your ICP. Um, maybe only 10 of those um, are your top, top targets. And you're really creating custom content for them, a custom pitch deck or custom outreach emails. Um, so I, I think just creating that unique experience for them really can go a long way. I, I agree. I agree with that. I think, well, look, you, you have the conventional way, which is like you serve the meds and you wait, you have a list of accounts, you serve the meds and you wait for them to pop up, right? Through your opt-in form, right? Or there is, I'd say that the more, the more authentic, like non-conservative way where you, you basically combine one of the strategies that you have, that you have like content co-creation and then you sort of try to engage the the, the buyer decision, the, the, all the buyers in the, in the, in the, in the company you want to sell to. Like, for example, something they have done in the past is like, let's say you send a puzzle to the company and each of the people that are the key decision makers, they have a one piece of the puzzle and they can put it all together. I think that creates like a strong alignment about like you, your company and them and their goals in, in the company. And that will, that's another reason for them to sit together and actually discuss your deal. Because very often it's like your deals fall apart, especially at the end of the year. Like there are so many priorities. End of the year, usually October, November is so freaking busy and you need to sort of re re-engage people. Like you need to sort of trigger them, remind them that, Hey, this is the deal that we all put together a long ago. Like let's, let's get it done. Let's close it. Right. And I, I think ABM, you can definitely use some re-engagement tactics to, for like within the, the accolade of ABM to make this work and, and close the deal. Okay. Okay. I have, well, basically it was, I really like the, the episode we have and I, but I think, you know, every, all good things come to an end. So <laughs> I would think about, I have my last question for you. So in terms of like marketing and sales with the, the pharma companies are doing right now. Yeah. What would you suggest them though? Like, let's say you are a guru, you know, you're, they, they're listening to you. And, and 
you, you can give them like a few advices. What, what would that be? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think there's so many different tactics out there. Um, but in terms of marketing in the pharma space, um, really thinking about prioritizing various channels. So a multi-channel approach is definitely something I've been reading a lot about recently. Um, so some of your buyers come to your website and they look at your blog and then they might see an ad online for your brand. And then three months later, they get an outreach from a sales rep. And two months later, they're their company says, hey, we're ready to buy a technology solution. So you kind of need to be present all the time. And that takes a lot of budget and a lot of coordination and a lot of effort. So I think my advice is really spend a lot of time building out a robust plan and figuring out where your audiences are most because you're not going to be able to do it all. So figure out if there's conferences you're going to be at where you can meet people, figure out if you can serve ads to the right people at the right time, figure out which are your top accounts so you can really prioritize content creation. So really just prioritization and, and figuring out all the different ways you can engage your prospect is really, really important in this space. And I think your, your comment about ABM at the end, like it's ultra important with fewer, the fewer accounts you have, the more customized and more specific and targeted you could be. So really think about that approach and spend time building out a plan before you just serve ads and build a website with bland content. Really get specific, I think, is, is the best advice I can give. Adam, fantastic, very sound advice. I strongly recommend family leaders to listen to Adam's advice and reach out to him on, what's the best way to reach out to you, Adam? Yeah, um, you can head over to LinkedIn, uh, Adam Rosenberg on LinkedIn and you can message me there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adam. Um, hope to see you next year where we'll, we're going to have even more insights and spicy new benefits. Thank you. Thanks so much.